seated. Well, it's state fair time. Are you planning to go this year? How many of you are planning to go to the state fair this year? How many were planning to go until you heard the weather forecast? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I've gone every year since I was a kid, except for a couple. And back when I was in 4-H, I won trips to the state fair with my 4-H projects. And so sometimes I'd bring a display about some uh, wildlife or maybe do a demonstration on how to to um, cook something. One time I even got to show my rabbits. But I was always envious of the 4-H'ers who got to stay in the barns and show real animals. You know, especially the cattle. We had uh, a couple of guys that uh, were going to the fair this week to show their cattle at the first service. Uh, boy, I would have been envious. I'm still envious. Uh, let's admit it. Because, see, I grew up on watching those uh, cowboy shows. You know, they were uh, black and white uh, reruns uh, on TV. And I would walk through the cattle barns just dreaming about having my own herd. You know, the cows, the horses, the whole bit. The cattle drives. Although I have to admit that I never saw a show that had a, a cattle drive of Holsteins like you see at the fair. Um, I wanted that and who can blame a guy for dreaming now it turns out that not all dreams come true I have never gotten even one cow for my herd but I know someone who does have a big herd and that's God Psalm 5010 says For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. Have you heard that phrase before, cattle on a thousand hills? I mean, I see it all over the place. You can go down to the store and you can pick up thousand hills meat uh, from the meat department. Or you can get posters that have cattle on a thousand hills and, and a picture of cattle behind it. <coughs> or there's even an old hymn about cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. He owns the rivers, rocks, and rills, the sun and stars that shine, wonderful riches more than tongue can tell. He is my father, so they're mine as well. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I know he will care for me. Nice words. But it has nothing to do with Psalm 50. See, the Bible here isn't talking about how God cares for the animals in you and me. That's the sheep sermon. You know Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 50 has a completely different message. Because while we may be the sheep of God's flock, we are not the cattle of God's hills. In fact, cattle in the Bible are often associated not with God, but with idolatry with rejecting God. See, the pagans back then, they, they worshipped a god called Baal, who was depicted as a bull. And the Israelites were often tempted to turn from God and worship Baal. Worshipping, shall we say, bull, because Baal isn't real. 
God warns the people over and over again to turn away from those false gods and to stick with their living God. The prophet Jeremiah, he describes the awful consequences of worshiping this bull god in Jeremiah 19. Hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah and people of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Listen, I'm going to bring disaster on this place that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. For they have forsaken me and made this a place of foreign gods. They have burned incense to its gods that neither they nor their ancestors nor the kings of Judah ever knew. And they have filled this place with the blood of the innocent. For they have built high places of Baal to burn their children in the fire as offerings to Baal. Something I did not command or mention, nor did it enter my mind. Imagine child sacrifice to a false god, the bull god Baal. The most famous Bible story of the conflict between following God and, and running after the false gods is Elijah's showdown with the 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. King Ahab and, and wife Jezebel have abandoned God and led the people away from the Lord to serve Baal. It's so hard to find a God-fearing person in Israel at this time that, that Elijah thinks he's the only one left. And still he challenges the prophets of Baal to a showdown. We find that story in in 1 Kings 18, <clears throat> Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood but not set fire to it either. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, that's a good idea. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first since there are so many of you Call in the name of your God, but don't light the fire. So they took the bowl given to them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elisha began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought, or busy, or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. It's a little sanitized version. Uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, actually, he, he throws in there, um, maybe he's on the john. That's why he can't, can't respond. You know, he, and he doesn't feel bad about using these, using these kinds of words because he knows that Baal is not real. He's not the real God. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response, no one answered. 
no one paid attention. Now you would think that the bull god would be eager to snatch up these stakes that have been laid out there for him. But Baal is no god. Only God is God. As the day draws to a close, Elijah gives God a chance. He builds an altar, he puts firewood on it, he puts the stakes on the firewood, and then he does something you shouldn't do at your barbecue here today. He dumps 12 big jars of water all over the grill there until all the wood is soaked, and in fact it runs down and fills up a trench around it. He doesn't want the people to think that he's done some trick, hidden a little smoldering coal or, or something in there that suddenly bursts to life. He wants them to know it's God, that only God can do it. And then he prays, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. God can do what no false god can, not even the bull god. And still, and still people want to follow false gods, don't they? Remember when Moses spent too long on the mountain when he was going up getting the Ten Commandments? And the people were restless. And so they wanted Aaron to, to make them an idol. And so he did. And, and what was that idol shaped like? Anybody remember? Golden calf, right. That's in Exodus 32. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. And then he said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. It almost seems ridiculous, doesn't it? These are your gods, what he's just made. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down because your people whom you've brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They've been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They bow down to it and sacrifice to it and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablet out of his hands, breaking them to pieces in front of the mountain. And he took the calf the people had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder and scattered it into the water and made the Israelites drink it. I don't know why he made them drink it, but we're so tempted to create idols, to make gods of our own, and not to follow the real God. Years later, not content with just one golden calf, King Jeroboam made two golden calves, and he set one up in Bethel as an idol to worship. 
1 Kings 12 says that King Jeroboam was afraid that if the, the people from the northern kingdom of Israel w- would go to the southern kingdom, to Jerusalem, to worship in the temple, after he had let a civil war spread, split the country, he's afraid that they would, would want to go back and, and would follow the king down in Jerusalem. And so he seeks some advice. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. He said to the people, it's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. He set one up in Bethel and the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin. The people came to worship the one at Bethel and went as far as Dan to worship the other. Did you notice how easily the manipulative king convinces those good Bible-believing people to start worshiping a golden cow instead of the Lord. He simply says, it's too much trouble for you to go all the way down to Jerusalem to worship. Why? Just worship here, around these golden calves. And they do. And we think, how could people be so stupid? And yet, we do it, don't we? People today say it's too much trouble to worship God. Much too difficult to follow Jesus. It takes too much time to pray. Bible reading, well, that's just hard work. And we substitute something less than God for God. We substitute some shiny object like a golden calf. You know, and we don't make them into physical idols, but, but what things do we idolize? and put in the place of God that don't belong there. Sometimes it's our own comfort. Oh, it's it's too much effort to go to Jerusalem. It's too much effort to go to church or to to volunteer or, or to even pray. Sometimes we make our possessions God or we make our status God or our politics God or or some social cause God. Sometimes We even make our sports or our family or our jobs take the place of God, just like the golden calf. I mean, who needs God? A God that asks something of us when we can have these convenient, shiny, golden calf gods. Well, almost 200 years after Jeroboam and his golden calves, the the prophet Amos comes along and the people are still not listening to God. They're still worshiping idols and they're still not caring about others or thinking and are still thinking only of themselves. And Amos reserves special outrage for the real housewives of Samaria. These are the well-to-do women in Samaria who pamper themselves while others suffer. Let me read you what Amos says. It's a little shocking. Listen to me, you fat cows living in Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy, and who are always calling on your husbands, bring us another drink. The sovereign Lord has sworn by his holiness the time will come when you will be led away with hooks in your noses. Every last one of you will be dragged away like a fish on a hook. Now, what's translated, you fat cows here, is literally, you cows of Bashan. 
The cows of Bashan were that area's state fair champion prize-winning beef cattle. They were pampered and well-fed. And he says these women are like pampered cattle. Even worse, they worship cattle too. Because remember what's in Bethel? The idols, like the golden calf? Uh, verse 4 says, Go ahead and offer sacrifice to the idols in Bethel. Keep on disobeying God at Gilgal. Offer sacrifices each morning and bring your tithes every three days. See what good it will do you. See, cattle are everywhere in the Bible, but often they're a sign of people going astray, people rejecting God and chasing shiny objects. And that brings us back to Psalm 50, the cattle on a thousand hills. When God says in Psalm 50, the cattle on a thousand hills are mine, he's not saying, I love you like a little calf. Or I'll watch over you like a cowboy watches over the herd. No, God's saying, I don't need your cattle. I already have all that I need. Listen. Oh, my people, listen as I speak. Here are my charges against you, O Israel. I am God, your God. I have no complaint about your sacrifices or the burnt offerings you constantly offer, but I do not need the bulls from your barns or the goats from your pens, for all the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. In other words, you think you can buy me off by offering me cattle. You think I depend on your measly sacrifices. I own it all. I own everything. I am God. So what does God want from us if it's not the cattle from a thousand hills? Well, let's read further. For all the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountains, and all the animals of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. For all the world is mine, and everything in it. Do I eat the meat of bulls? Do I drink the blood of goats? Now make thankfulness your sacrifice to God and keep the vows you made to the Most High. Then call on me when you're in trouble and I will rescue you and you will give me glory. God wants our thankfulness, our gratitude, our integrity, our faithfulness in keeping our promises to God. God wants us to call out to him in prayer and always give him the glory. That's what God wants. You ever hear of the Steak of the Month Club? The Kansas City Steak Company has a 12-month uh, gift package of steaks. For a mere $1,299.95, you can get four 16-ounce T-bones or ribeyes or, or filet mignons delivered to your house every month. Now, it sure beats the Jelly of the Month Club that Clark Griswold got in that Christmas vacation movie, but... But imagine if you are a wealthy cattle rancher with a herd so big that it covers a thousand hills. You have an endless supply of, of steaks. And not just the vacuum-packed mail-order steaks, but the most choice, dry-aged beef steaks you can imagine. And imagine also that, that you have helped out a poor neighbor because that's the kind of person you are, right? You like to help. 
you love other people, and you're happy to help them. Now imagine further that this neighbor that you've helped, this poor neighbor of yours, wants to show their appreciation. And so they buy you, the owner of a thousand hills of cattle, a membership in the Stake of the Month Club. Now that's nothing to sneeze at. But you really don't want their stakes, do you? You just want their thanks. Well, that's God. He just wants us to thank him for all that we have, to honor him as God and not all this BS, false God stuff that we create, all our shiny idols. And God wants us to stop sitting around like the cows of Bashan, ordering drinks and being pampered while the poor are oppressed and, and the hearts of the needy are broken. God doesn't need our cattle. He's got enough of them already. What God needs is our hearts. If Psalm 50 isn't clear enough, Micah puts it this way. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression and the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Remember back to the child sacrifices to Baal. No, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. My son Corey and his wife Kayla have always had an affinity for that verse from Micah, Micah 6, 8. Around their house they have numerous wall hangings and, and other plaques and items that have the phrase, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. And I asked them, why this verse? I mean, there's many good verses in the Bible, so why is that one so meaningful that they put it up all over their house? And Kayla said that it was kind of a theme verse at the church they first went to when they got married. And it became a theme verse for their family. And it's the kind of lesson that they want to teach their children. And Corey said that he likes it because it's short and easy to remember and it summarizes how they want to live as Christians. He says it, it adds kind of a, so a few more specifics to that great commandment to love God and neighbor. To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. God prefers that over the best steaks. Well, I never got my herd of cattle. And I still walk through the cattle barn, though, and I'll do it again this coming week. And I'll still dream a little. But I don't need the cattle on a thousand hills to offer up to God. Because God already owns them and everything else. And I already have the offering that God wants. A grateful heart. A mouth that prays and lips that glorify the Lord. I already know what God will be pleased with more than 
a Steak of the Month Club membership for me to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with him. And that's what he wants from you too. It's really rather simple. Leave behind the false gods, those shiny golden idols that we make for ourselves, and do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. God already has the cattle on a thousand hills. Does he have your heart? That's the real question. Does he have your heart? Let's pray. God, you're not looking for a big steak dinner from us. You're not looking for so many of the things that we think you need. Because you already have everything. And yet the question of our heart remains. So Lord, we offer you our hearts right now. We offer our hearts in love. And we will offer our lips in praise to glorify you, to magnify your holy name. It's really rather simple. And then we will go out and do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with you this week.